Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. This pattern that our society, this message that they're speaking to us, this pattern of dishonoring men, criticizing us. And what happens is it robs men of the courage that they need. Uh, They feminize us, and then they say, rise to the occasion. So we've got a society that tells us you're screwed up as a man, you don't really know anything, you're unable to handle things, but you need to rise up. And so what I believe that we need is we need more, men need more courage. They don't need more criticism. Uh, men have become laughing stocks. Uh, we talk about our dad bods, right? Got one of those. We talk about the man flu, right? So there's all these little funny things that we see every day that's kind of programming us that men are really kind of subpar. Are you with me? And men are just really need to step it up and be something that they're not. And just all this criticism, accusation that men are perverts, that all they ever think about is sex, that men are incredibly egotistical, that we're insensitive, that we're not compassionate, that we're self-centered, that we're sloppy, that we're oblivious, that we're stupid. You know, it's interesting when a woman screws up, when a woman screws up, that woman will get labeled, well, she's a this, right? We label a woman when a woman screws up. When a man screws up, all men get the blame. Men are pigs, right? Men are losers. Men are sloppy. Men are stupid. Men don't know. And uh, it's getting thrown at us from the women in our lives, but also the media. Even men are making fun of men. And it's kind of become this this laughing stock, if you will, and uh, again, just watch this, any sitcom, watch it, and you'll, you'll see uh, that men are usually the stupid one. Men are pigs. Uh, I believe this. I believe that if we're going to walk into the destiny that God has for us as men, then we have to have the courage to do it. Because listen, what God has called you to as a man is huge. It's, it's bigger than you could ever imagine. And it's going to take a lot of courage to do that. I, I, could get, I could use a real manly term for that, but I'm not going to because it probably wouldn't be appropriate. But it, it takes some fortitude. It takes some strength. It takes some courage to do what God has called you to do, and you know it. And so today, I, I want to encourage you that, that, that your value is not defined by the culture. Your value is defined by your creator. And God put you here, and God put you in the life that you're in, and he put you at the job that you're in, and he put you in the relationships that you're in because you can bring value to those things. He didn't bring you there so you could survive, but so that you could invest. Psalm 139, David, we look at David. You know, David did not have it all together, did he? I mean, here's the guy. We were talking about this last night. David, one of the most prominent uh, people in the scripture that we have, right? One of the, I mean, you think of the Bible, you think of a few characters mostly, and David is one of them. Here's a guy who was an adulterer and who was a murderer, who, who made a lot of mistakes in his life. But one of the things that David did is he accomplished a lot. Even though his weakness, he still accomplished a lot. And I believe that David had a reality 
of what God thought about him. Check this out. Psalm 139. He says this. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a lot different than what society's saying. Now, this is David, a man, talking about how he's made. We can get into, you know, does that apply to mankind? I believe it does. But today we're talking to the man. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Other words, I'm wonderful because I'm your work. That doesn't mean we'd be cocky about it. In fact, it's more humbling than it is impressive. That makes sense. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How many know that your story is written, and you're going to spend the rest of your, your life yielding to the story that was written about you? How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh, God, how vast the sum of them. So he's saying this, that that, that God's thoughts are vast. They can't be counted. And in fact, he gives an illustration. He says, where I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. So David makes this point that I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. God made me to do something. Right? God put destiny inside of you. So I want to talk for a minute. This will be kind of fun. I want to talk a little bit about the frame of man. How, how, how did God wire us? Now, now men, we, we're all different, but we're all kind of the same, right? So we all have these things that are real similar. There's a book that uh, Leslie and I got I heard about years ago. as a marriage book by a guy named uh, uh, Bill and Pam Farrell, and it's called Women are, Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghettis. Has anybody ever heard of that book? When Leslie and I do, uh, some of you that we've done marriage counseling for, when we do marriage counseling, we always go through uh, the men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti, because whenever we heard this, we were like, oh, my gosh. It totally makes sense. It's like, I know you can never understand a woman, but it it helps a little bit. It kind of lets you peek in the window. Um, So basically what what the theory suggests, I think we we have a little graphic or something for that. Uh, Men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. So men are like waffles. We, We have compartments in our life, don't we? I mean, we have like our work box, right? We have our husband box. We have our dad box. We have our Xbox, right? We have our little boxes. And when we go to work, we get in our work box. We don't think about my parent box or my husband box. From time to time we will, but it takes a lot to get in that box, right? How many of you ever got in that box and you went home and you didn't get out of that box? I go, this happens to me almost every Monday because I go, and I'm really focused on Mondays. I'm tired, but my mind is really focused. And I walk into the house, and I just sit there. And Leslie's like, are you all right, babe? I'm still in my work box. I was not able to leave the box. I left the building, but I didn't leave the box. Women are different. Women can have four babies. My, my wife has four babies uh, and still want more babies. Uh, while she's got a baby in her arms, she can schedule an appointment on the phone with baby in one hand and a spatula in another. And she can remember details of conversations that you had three years ago. Right? Come on, are you with me? 
And we're like, how do you remember that? Because women are like spaghetti. They have this crazy network in their soul that everything's kind of connected. That, and men, we're kind of like, what? They're like, there's no boxes. It's like I'm mom and wife. And, and for men, we get frustrated because we're like, can I just have like one piece of the spaghetti? Because you know, you guys know how it is. Cause spaghetti, it's all touching. It's all runs together. Women, uh, that's why they're able to integrate. Uh, that's what we're talking about. They're, everything integrates. With men, we compartmentalize. Women, they integrate. With, with, but with women, that's why they're so good at multitasking, right? I mean, I'm like, I'm preaching. I can't do anything else, right? I'm like focused. I hear music. I'm like, oh, God, this is kind of trying to get me out of my box, right? And then I have to think about that box. And uh, some of us get a little better as life, and we're able to move in and out of boxes. And then we, and then we have boxes in our boxes. Like, I don't have, like, I don't have a, like, just a box that's um, husband and father and mow the lawn. It's like that's all inside my house box, does that make sense? So I got this box, and inside this box is boxes and boxes and boxes inside the box. And then I have my work box, right? Uh, Leslie and I noticed this one time whenever uh, we had Mariah, and she was, she was little. She's so sweet. And then we had Judah. And it was like, all of a sudden, I got another box. Because I have my, my kid box inside my family box, but then I have inside my kid box, I have four little boxes, right? And so I had a, I had a box, now i got to think about this other box. So what happens with men is the more that we have got going on, we don't just throw another piece of spaghetti in there and it just works out. It doesn't work like that. You throw something else on and we're like, oh, my gosh. How am I going to have the capacity to manage this box? So we've noticed that we have a difficulty adjusting to new boxes. We have a new kid. We're like, oh, my gosh. So I'm like, no more kids. My box is full. Leslie's like, oh, you can have 11. Like, well, yes, this is spaghetti. You just throw it in. And for me, it's like, I, that's another box. There's another mouth I have to feed. I got a problem with it. Another money. That's how we think. Add into the boxes. This is the deal. With men, the more the boxes, the heavier the load. Isn't it true, guys? I mean, because we, we have, like, the box that's us, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I have so much going on. And women, they're able to just... Just everything's just kind of working out. And, and, and then they get frustrated at us because we're not that way. Can I tell you that there's a great strength in that? Because men can be very accomplished. Because really, your, the big box is your destiny. Come on, are you with me? And you've got this big destiny, this big plan that God has for you. And he wants you to succeed in all your little boxes. But they're all inside this big box. So don't try to build boxes on top of your destiny. Just understand that this is my destiny. My destiny is to be a man of God. My destiny is to be a godly father. My destiny is to be a diligent worker. This is my destiny. So a common struggle that men have is anger which is usually sparked by frustration or tension. Why? Because we, something's been added to the box. And the reality is, is the capacity is only this big. So what happens is the boxes, instead of the overall capacity getting larger, the compartments get smaller. And then we get, but, it, but we do feel heavier, don't we, Gus? We were just like, oh, my gosh. And so, anyway, if you, you guys want to get that book, it's, it's a great book, and uh, it would really help you. I've actually never read the book. I've just heard a bunch of teaching on it, and it's just really good. But, uh, 
Yeah, we did the workbook. Is that right? So, and I've taught it, so I get it. I understand it. I got the concept. It's like first chapter of the book. Yeah, we got it now. We're good. Thank you. Have you ever read a book? It's my book box. Throw it in my book box. That's a good part. I'm convinced. I'm convinced most books could be written in one chapter. You guys know what I'm saying. Some of y'all are like, no. Readers are learners and leaders. And I'm like, I got it. Now you're explaining it over and over again for 13 chapters of the first chapters. Thanks. So I want to talk a little bit more about what every man needs. So these are kind of some things that every man needs. These are boxes, if you will, that every man has, but also that every man needs. Are you guys with me? Genesis chapter 2. We talk a lot about the creation account here. I, I believe it's crucial because we want to know what we were created for, right? We want to know what our destiny is. So let me read through this. Verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. If you have a paper Bible, you might underline that. If you have a digital Bible, you might highlight that. Or if you got your notes, just look at it. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat from every fruit, and the, uh, fr- fruit every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat from it. You will surely die. Then the Lord said to him, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the first thing he says is tend and watch over it. Number two is it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, and he gave the names to all the, all the livestock, all the birds of the air, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So God promised him a helper, and then he didn't have any help. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And the Lord God said, uh, made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. Oh, come on. That'll preach. Verse 23, at last, <laughs> all you married guys are like, yes, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, whoa, man, or man with a womb, because she was taken from the man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife, and the two are united to us one. In verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want to talk four things that this creation story tells us about men, about the makeup of men. Number one is we need a grind. We need a grind. And what do you mean by that? We need a job. We need something that we do Almost every day. And I say almost every day because you've got to have a day where you take off from that. Can I tell you today that you weren't created for rest. You were created for work. Some of you, one of the breakdowns of our society is, is they say just however comfortable you can be. We don't really want to, we, we want to make the most money without doing the little amount, little amount of work, Right? So don't really work that hard. Well, that's not what you're created to do. You were actually created as a man to work hard. You, you were created for a grind. What was the first thing the Lord said? Tend and watch over the garden. Here's the garden. Watch it. It's yours. 
It's an assignment. It's a heavenly assignment that we work. We need to grind. We need to see things developed. We need to see progress. Part of the reason why men are so effeminate in our culture and part of the reason why masculinity is being robbed of us is because we think work is going and sitting down in front of a computer, right? We want a job like that. We want a desk job. And I know that that's where culture is at. I'm not criticizing you if you have a job like that. It's just the way our culture is, is the way it is. But you guys know that you need something. You know, I've gotten to this thing recently where I'm building stuff. And uh, so when we got into this building, I bought some tools. And I just started building things. And it's so therapeutic. Why? Because God put in me a grinding spirit, a spirit that would, that would watch over things and a, and a spirit that would do things, that it's not just enough for me to sit at a computer and do stuff. And, and this is why men find hobbies. Why do we need to find hobbies? Well, because usually our work isn't fulfilling enough because it's nothing we're really putting our hand to. Are you with me? Now, I'm not, if you've got a great job that requires no physical labor, it's not a criticism, but it's to say you need a grind in your life. You need a schedule. Uh, Leslie and I notice this whenever we'll go through a season and my, my schedule changes, right? Like right now it's summer, so my schedule is a lot more flexible. And it's like, I don't really do so good with that in the beginning. I mean, we think, oh, I can't wait. Can't wait till I just have this free schedule. And then I get into it. Like when we first planted the church, I officed at the house. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do in my life because I couldn't leave the home box and go to the work box. Right? And so we were like, oh, I'd love to work from home. For me, it didn't work. It was like, I, I, this is my, my work box. I, I need a place to go. So Starbucks was kind of my work box, right? And then we got a building, and then that became my work box. But we need a grind. God created you for a grind. Can I tell you that when, when you have a grind in your life, when you, have, when you have work in your life, that you actually sleep better? You actually sleep better spending more energy than you do sitting around all day and sleep. How many of y'all known that to be true, that when you've worked hard, you're like, man, I slept really good last night. Why? Because you're, you're, that's the way that you were designed. And then there's something therapeutic about working. Right? Are y'all with me? Yeah, I think y'all are like, you're trying to get out of it. I understand you're trying to get out of it, but you were created for this. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says this, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So God created you to have satisfaction in your work. That's why a lot of women, they can, they can work, a lot of women can work any job and just be satisfied with it. But men, we're continually looking for a job that we can find satisfaction in. It's, money isn't enough. Right? Um, the problem making work easier and again, technology taking away that grind, um, is that at the end of the day, we feel useless. I mean, have you ever worked an eight-hour day and it was like, it didn't really require much of you? It didn't require any energy, whether mental or physical. And then at the end of the day, you just felt like useless? Like you were just kind of spinning a wheel? Why? Because we were created to see things progress. Now, I'm not talking about your ranking in Call of Duty. Right. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with video games, unless you're spending like six hours on them a day. You've probably got a problem. Um, you, you, know, you know why that's so gratifying to men? Because at least there's some sort of progress. Does that make sense? I got to this level. We call it competition, but really it's a desire for progress. Um, this is why we value handcrafted things. 
Right? We want things that are made in America, made with, made with red American blood. I made that. Made it with his hands. It's like, why is it better? Because he made it with his hands. Because you knew it took work. You knew that someone invested in energy, and there's a value in that. It's built better and stronger. It was built with heart and conviction. And we want those things, right? We want something built like that. I would say Ford tough, but I'm not a Ford fan, so. Really? Just don't get that honest. Got rid of that box. We will pray. So what happens is when we don't do anything that, that requires uh, something, a craft of our hand, we're not seeing anything come out of our hand, is we end up living vicariously through men who do. Don't we? Oh, man, look at them. And so part of the reason why sports is such a, really an idol in America is because they're making progress. Right? That competitive spirit, it's not really, God didn't really put in you a spirit of competitiveness. He put in you a spirit that says, I want to see things accomplished. And so we take a meaningless game and we show more energy towards that meaningless game than we do to our God when we come to service. Because we're living vicariously through someone else. That's not a slam. It's an encouragement to, to you to say, let's do something. Come on. Come on, boys. And not just to do things and to be active, but actually do things and do things well, right? That's why you want a job that, that you do good at. I think of Pablo over here, man. This guy's like, they just launched their screen printing business and very excellent screen printers. I've worked with a lot of screen printers. He's one of the best. And, uh, man, just very good at his job. And he finds pleasure in it. He finds pleasure in it. He's good at it. Why does he find pleasure at it? Because he has refined his craft. He does it with excellence. You know, really, as men, we, we weren't created to just do, do work, but do work well. Right? Are you with me? In our grind, that we do it good. Uh, I, uh, our neighbors across the street from us, they got, uh, he, he, had, he got sick and he wasn't able to mow his yard. And so Leslie, you know, how many of you ever get voluntold by your wife? And uh, so Leslie came and, you know, she's always got these great ideas. And I always get frustrated with people's ideas because I've got so many ideas that I could never do. And then people are like, you know what you should do? I'm like, yeah, I do know what I should do. Please don't tell me anything else. And, uh, but Leslie comes to me and she always has these brilliant ideas and she goes, now, you don't have to. She always does this little preface, you know, oh, you don't have to. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, actually, I do now because you mentioned it. And so she, she told me, she said, you should go and mow their lawn for them. I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, yeah, I, I should do that. I could do that. But just the front. Right? And so I actually enjoy mowing the lawn. And so it's probably because I work a lot at a computer. And so I want to go mow the lawn like it's they're actually therapeutic because I'm seeing something happen. And so I go to my neighbor's house and I, and I mow their yard. And as I'm mowing their yard, the tendency in me was to say, let's just kind of like, you know, not really do a very good job. Let's just mow it. No one won't, won't edge it, won't weed it. You know, just, just mow over it and be done with it, right? I mean, I'm doing it for them. And so I'm thinking that when I'm going in. I'm just mow over it real quick and just be done and, you know, kind of sneak out and don't let anybody see me. And so I go and I mow the yard and he comes out. And, I'm, you know, the next thing I know, I'm edging it and I'm weeding him. I mean, it looked better than my yard. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? You know, and so this week... I mowed my front yard, and I noticed their grass is higher, and he hadn't started cutting it yet. So I, with joy, with something that I dreaded before to do, now I was like, 
I get to mow this guy's yard. So I'll go over there and I got, you know, get some, I got some new lawn to- 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 toys, toy tools. You guys know what I'm saying. They're kind of all falling the category. That's kind of the same box, toys and tools. And so I go over there and I'm like mowing his yard and everything. I'm like, yeah, come on. I'm edging it. I'm like blowing it with the blower. I'm like, yeah, it didn't look too good. I better fix that. And I'm putting all this excellence into it. Why? Because God put the desire into me not to just do a job, but to do a job right. Something that I can look back at it and go, I did that. Not I did that because I'm all this, but because God put in me a desire to do things right. And so it's okay to take pride in your work as long as you're not just so self-indulged with it. Are you with me? So do your work, do your grind, and be proud of it. And if you're doing a job that you hate, then find a job that you love. Now, don't, don't quit your job and then look for one. You find one while you're working. That's called being responsible. Okay? But grinding is your destiny. It's your destiny to get up and go to work every day. You'll be better. You're better with a schedule. You're better with not easy work. So quit looking for the easy way out. You will find more fulfillment by doing hard work. So I just encourage you in that. Your, your goal isn't to sit behind a big desk and, you know, um, eat cookies that you can't pronounce the name of every day or something fancy or drink $35 bottle of water. I mean, you need a ice cold Coca-Cola and a Slim Jim and a, and, a, and a saw. That's what you need. Those are the material things that you need. All right, number two, men need solitude. Now, notice, notice with Adam that he was alone for a while. Now, if we see this story, God's like, I'm going to provide someone for you. And he's like, yeah, party, win. God is like, you're going to have to learn this thing of being alone first. Because while you're alone, I'm preparing someone for you. And it says this in verse 23, he said, at last. He, he was like, wow, finally, the day has come that this woman, this, this promise that God had given me, finally it's here. Well, what was God doing in the process? He was teaching Adam. He was showing him. He said, listen, you need your solitude. You know, one of the boxes that men have is this box called the nothing box. Women, I'm here to tell you that when you ask your husband or a man that's in your life, when you go, and they're like this, and you go, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. He's thinking about nothing. (laughs) It's this box that we visit. And it's not because we're stupid. It's because we have a hole in our life for solitude. We, we need a place where we can get alone. We need a place we can get you, Y'all do that all the time when I'm preaching. I'm like, isn't that good? And you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Box, change the box. Listen, when we don't have solitude, it greatly affects our attitude. When you don't have solitude... Wives, let me tell you, you might not need a lot of time alone because alone time is just another noodle. But you you do need it from time to time. But men need a pattern. Can I tell you? Men need a pattern of solitude. We need to be able to go out and go fishing by ourselves. We need to be able to go and pray by ourselves. Can I tell you that Jesus had to get away? 
Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew, withdrew to lonely places to pray. He wouldn't take in anybody with him. He would just go, and he would get away and pray and seek God and be in this place of solitude. We need that in our lives. Sometimes, how I many you know, for me, I have to, like, just have some Josh Brown time. And it's not a prideful thing. It's a thing that God put inside of me. And, and, and can I tell you, wives, don't do this. When your husband says, I just need some time, don't go, well, when am I going to get my me time? I know you got your me time. When am I going to get my me time? Can I tell you that you don't want to be a critic of your man and make him feel guilty for something that God put inside of him. He needs this time to get away. Now, he don't need to get away for a week. Come on. Maybe through the course of a year, but he needs to have an afternoon where he can check out. And you don't need to bug him the whole time. If he's not working in the garage, you don't need to visit the garage every five minutes and check on him. Because he needs that time to think. He needs that time to process. But listen, if we don't have solitude, it will greatly affect our attitude, and attitude will determine our altitude. Solitude, listen, solitude makes us better at our other relationships. Part of the reason why Eve hadn't showed up on the scene yet is because God hadn't done the work and Adam, that he needed to, to be able to handle that relationship. He needed that solitude for a long time. Now, let me say this. We need solitude, but not isolation. Because there's a great difference. You need a time to get away, but isolation is bad, which leads to number three, is we need companion. The first thing, after God created everything, the first thing, we talk about this a lot. The first thing that God said wasn't good was that man was alone. The first thing wasn't that he ate. From the fruit he wasn't supposed to do. The first thing that wasn't good is that man was alone. God said, it's not good that you're alone. So I'm going to create a helper for you. Help mate. Then the Lord made woman, verse 22, from the rib, and he brought her to the man. You know, when I do weddings, I always say this, you know, that God took her from his rib because she was created to be beside him. He didn't take her from his head that she might be above him. She didn't take him from his feet, so she'd be below him. She wanted him right there beside him to help him. Wives, you were there to help your man, not to criticize your man. It doesn't say that he needed a critic or a teacher or a mommy. It is insulting, ladies. Let me just be real honest with you. It is insulting when you treat us like the kids. It does nothing but rob us of our power and our courage to do what we feel like God's called us to do. Second guessing. Criticize. Oh, you should have done it this way. You need to be a matter man. You need a man up. Didn't you hear what the pastor said about working? You need to get a job. How can you say that in a way that will encourage him and inspire courage in him instead of deflate him and then ask him to rise up? Because this is what happens is, is wives, and maybe, maybe you're not this wife, but many times wives are so critical of their husband. And then, when they, and then they just criticize him and criticize him. And they're like, well, if you would just step up, how is he going to step up when you're always putting him down? Every time he tries to step up, you're, you're criticizing him. This, this being a man thing is hard. Can we just be honest? I'm not that manly. 
It's hard. And we might, we might puff up with ego, and we might try to look like we have it all together and talk big and do all this stuff, but it's hard to be a man of God. It's hard to be a leader of our family. It's hard, and we don't need critics, and we don't need moms. We need people that will cheer us on. We need people that will champion us and say, Dad, you can do it. Because we want to hear that from them. But if they don't have the courage inside of them, then they will have no courage to give. The only way you can give courage is when you're encouraged. And men, we need encouragement. Kids, your parents need encouragement. Now, I believe that man is the head of the house. I believe that. I know that's old school. I don't care if it's old school. And every, it, basically, I'm the gateway for my family. But what I don't need is I don't need criticism from the inside. Tell me how bad of a gateway I am. So it's not good that we're alone. We need helpers. And I love that he used that word, helpers. Are you all all right? You know, I've seen that, I've seen that look at hundreds of times. You know, be in group settings with a husband and a wife, and a wife will criticize her husband. And I watch the face of a man every time it happens. Ladies, can I tell you, if you're not married or if you are married, don't ever criticize your man in front of somebody else. Don't ever do that. You're robbing him of the courage. Don't ever complain about your man to another person. If you're talking to a counselor, that's one thing. If you're talking to a pastor or a leader, that's one thing. But don't complain about your man. I've watched the countenance of men just drop and their courage rob because they don't have a woman that believes in them. Believe in your man. Another thing that, that men need is we need friends. We need friends. Now, man, I went a long time this, for a long season of my Christian walk where I didn't have any friends. Uh, I had friends, but they lived in other cities. I wasn't really doing life with them. For about 11 years, I really didn't have any friends. And uh, there were some pockets in time in there where, where I went through it. And whenever I found a friend, I was a better man because of it. Whenever I found a friend that I could go mountain biking with and hang out, my, one of my best friends, Ben Cunningham, like whenever I found a friend, a man that could do life with me, a, a man that, that has a psyche like I do that can help me, help me carry the loads of life, it made me better. Can I tell you, I got healthy by having a friend. You need a friend. You need a friend. You don't just need a wife. Well, your wife is awesome. You need a wife. You need a good woman in your life. But you also need friends. Come on. Ladies, y'all need that too. I know we're preaching to men today, but I'm not hating on you. Believe in you. We need to be believed in by the ones we believe in. Someone who understands us. We need encouragers. Iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27.10. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. You need friends. We all need friends. We, our, our destiny will be capped and limited if we do not have the right friendships in our life. Show me your friends, and I'll show you the power you have to walk in your destiny. If you don't have encouragers, you won't have the encourage to do it. Number four, we need to feel no shame. We need to feel no shame. Right after he was created, the woman is brought to him. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they didn't feel any shame. A man should never have a reason to hang his head low and to walk around with no confidence. 
Because if he is living life like that, then he cannot do what God has called him to do. And notice that whenever, whenever man sinned, what was robbed from him? His courage. When man sinned, what was the first thing they noticed? I'm naked. I feel shameful. So when God showed up on the scene, what did Adam do? He hid. I mean, that would make a good sitcom. God shows up and you're hiding. Okay. That's good. I see that. Check. Yep. You went on that one. Why was he hiding? Because he felt shame, a feeling that he had never had before. When sin hits the scene, shame able to set in. Listen, shame robs us of confidence. If we don't have confidence, we will be robbed of courage. If we have no courage, we will never carry out the destiny that God has for us. So I speak over you men. No shame. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. We've made big mistakes. We've done stupid things. All of us. But we serve a God who is a restorer that makes all things new. And it really, your past is irrelevant in Jesus to your future. Can I tell you today that no, you've not done any sin too big to keep you from what God has called you to do. There is no mistake that you've done. There is no foolish act that you've done to rob you from what God has designed you to do. And you might have screwed up, screwed up, and you might have blown it, but I cannot tell you that God sent the greatest man that ever lived to die in your place so that you can have a new beginning, so that all your shame could be erased, so you could do the thing that God has called you to do. So what I want to do today is I want to instill a little bit of that courage and understand that you belong to the Most High God and you have authority in your life and that God has empowered you to be the man of your family. Your kids need you and your wife needs you and your workplace needs you to be the best that you can be. But you can only be the best that you can be with Jesus. You can only be the best you can be by the power of the Holy Spirit that will quicken your mortal body, that will quicken your fallenness, that will quicken your shameful spirit and give you the confidence to say, I am a child of God.